Hi there, Dave Levine here. Thanks for joining me for episode 11 of the Sports Stories podcast. Last week, we heard from Sarah Symington, who had been to two Olympics, worked in the business world, and now was playing her part in developing the next England netball players and teams. My special guest today is Nathan Wood, who currently leads the specialist and international coach program for the England-Wales Cricket Board. In my view, spending time with Nathan is never wasted time. He comes from a cricketing family as his father played for England. He played at Lancashire for a number of years and is also an ECB level four coach. And I believe one of his greatest assets is his ability to ask great questions and show genuine curiosity and interest. So it gives me great pleasure to welcome Nathan Wood, a great friend and colleague of mine to the Sports Stories podcast. Welcome Nathan, thanks very much for being on the Sports Stories podcast. It's really great to have you with me. Like I've known you now for quite a few years or so probably what I think it's, I was trying to catch the other day, is five or six years at least. 2014, and I think, Dave, yeah. 2014, was it? Wow. 2014 yeah. when we met. Um, and I really got a great sense from you through the journey and the time we've got to know you of your philosophy and the way you work. But also what's really intrigued me is your, your career background from when you were a cricketer right the way through to running your own business and also now working within a, a governing body. So I'm, I'm really excited for today just to unpick some of those aspects of your career um, and also unpick your philosophy a little bit and understand where you come from. So without me giving too much away, can you kick us off by giving us a, a bit of a sense of possibly your first memory of, of being involved in sport? Oh, crikey. OK. Um, well, hello, Dave. It's really nice to see you. Um, and it was 2014, and I know that because it was my 40th birthday, and we met two weeks after, I think. So, um, earliest memory in sport. Well, okay. So, my my dad was a professional cricketer, um, a much better cricketer than than I. I need to uh, to highlight that. And and my mum didn't work, so cricket was basically everything that I knew. So. I would say that cricket formed nearly all my childhood memories, but one that particularly um, stands out is back in 1979, and I was and I was four, and I remember walking down uh, down a street with my mum, and we walked, we walked past the a news agents, and outside the news agents there was a um, a billboard with the uh, front page of the Manchester Evening News on it and on the uh, <laughs> Evening News there was a headline and the headline was that my dad had left Lancashire Cricket Club now you know uh, uh, Wood quits Lancashire and I can see it crystal clear and the reason why it was impactful because um, it was actually news to my dad <laughs> let alone let alone us and and the emotional impact that it had on my mum because i was only four or five looking at her and then looking back at this board was something that i'll never forget and actually i think that i think it's probably shaped my my views and some of my behaviors ever since so that would be my earliest memory of sport that, that that I can easily recall. Wow, brilliant. 
So back as, as early as being four, that was your earliest memory of sport. So now can you give us a bit of a sense from, from there and for our listeners, your, your journey through sport and your career kind of up to today? What, what's, what have you done and where have you worked? So as I alluded to before, cricket was everything actually in my household. So I, I became a cricketer. Um, I went through the, the, the pathway from well from a performance perspective I got on the pathway at Lancashire at 13 um, and from 14 I started captaining the, the the youth teams and I got into the the young England teams and I think I represented uh, England at every age group from 14 up to up to 19 and I signed at Lancashire when I was 18 um, and I did that for Eight years, so I was I was at Lanks for um, for eight years, and I guess looking back, it was a career that didn't fulfil my expectations and wants. Um, I, I view it as a as a disappointment, um, but you know that maybe the conversation will go there, maybe maybe it won't, but. But from there, I, I then um, I did a couple of things, but, but I, I started a, a very small business. And that led to me running a, a series of small businesses over, over the next 18 years, all of which were based around coaching and people development. And then for the last two years, um, quite unexpectedly, I've, I've been working for a national governing body, I've been employed by, by somebody, uh, um, and it's a, a bigger surprise to me as it is to anyone. Um, but that's that. I've, I've been working at the ECB, and there I, I head up the the specialist and in the international uh, coach development programs. Go on then, you you opened the door there a little bit about your your time at Lancashire. You mentioned it was a, a, a disappointing time for you. Why, why was that? Why did you see it as a disappointment? Well, I didn't achieve what I, I wanted to or thought I, that I could. Um, but, but more importantly than that, it wasn't the experience that I kind of hoped for or, or thought it would be. Um, and so not just on the field, I felt like, I, I didn't achieve what I wanted to, but it was the experience of being a professional sportsman that didn't match to my expectations. And it's all expectation driven. It's all, you know, and what kind of was, thinking to the future. What, what was your expectations? Can you recall those? What, what do you think that environment and that experience should have been like? So I, I remember having a conversation very early on um, with somebody who was a bit of a mentor to me. Um, and they said, you do realise it's going to be really difficult you carving out a, uh, a career at Lancashire because just look at the competition ahead of you and they're relatively young. And so, so, so to give you a little bit of background, I was an opening batsman and I was solely an opening batsman. But at the time, um, Lancashire's opening batters who were three or four years older than me, were Mike Atherton, the England captain, and John Crawley, England player. 
And then you had Jason Gallion in the wings who went on to play for England and so on and so forth. So uh, the competition was steep. But, you know, as a youngster, I think you have, well, I had confidence in my ability to kind of override that. And perhaps my ignorance meant that I didn't actually uh, see the wisdom in that mentor, uh, mentor's advice. And so I just kind of presumed because I'd, I'd done okay in every level that I played at, you know, and I'd, I'd done okay uh, Young England, that, that would just carry on and uh, the, the, a, a door would open <laughs> and in I would walk and that would be, that would be it forevermore. You know, that was my plan. And it did open though, didn't it, for a while? It took a long time. So I made my debut, so I signed at 18. <clears throat> and I think I made my debut at 22. And I actually thought I was ready when I was about 19, maybe 20. I was doing pretty well in the second team. I was scoring a lot of runs. I remember uh, at that time, David Lloyd, David Bumble Lloyd was, was, was the head coach at Lancashire. And, he, and I remember him coming to me, you're very close. You're very close. If you get 100 in the next second team game, you're playing. Well, I scored 90 in that second team game and they didn't tip me. <laughs> and I didn't, and I didn't uh, play for um, another couple of years. But I, I feel I was ready uh, a bit before then. Um, so I, felt, I, I just felt a little bit kind of behind the pace. <clears throat> it wasn't going on the trajectory that I, that I thought. You also mentioned then you, you, you ran a number of small businesses um, in, in people development and coaching and now working for a governing body. And you also had a, a kind of a wry smile when you said um, you were really surprised that you would end up in a governing body. Can you give us a sense of the, the differences between the different environments and why you see this is quite an interesting step for you working in a governing body? Well, it's not, it's not, a, it's not a governing body. It's the fact that I'm, I'm employed. So... When I first started working for myself, I, I um, had a, a meeting with my accountant. And the very first meeting I, uh, I said to him, he said, um, I said, he said, commiserations, uh, Nathan, because you've now become unemployable. <laughs> and I didn't really know what it meant. But as, as I went more into that self-employed route and <clears throat> working for myself, I understood exactly what he meant in so much as when you work for yourself, you have to make all the decisions, and you, but, you, but you also have a lot of freedom and you don't have anybody kind of micromanaging you. Um, and you create systems that work for you and not necessarily work for the organisation or other people. And so I did get to a stage where I thought, that's it, you know, I've been working for myself for five years, 10 years, whenever it was. I can't, I can't work for anybody else. So, um, so when this opportunity came, then uh, that surprised me actually, and more, and more so my wife. <laughs> for me, your career has had so many different experiences, you know, both working as a self-employed and being part of an employed environment. You know, you've worked in various different teams and throughout this, the ups and downs, have you come upon a, a quote or a saying or a, a success phrase that you have from the bit I do know of you you're a man that do like some quotes and you do use them so what, what would be your quote um <laughs> well this won't surprise you I've got a couple 
and, and 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 I would say that these two um, they act as a, a compass for me. Look to add value, not interference. So I think this. I think it, I think it's it, it stemmed from two things. One, um, my early upbringing, particularly my dad's influence, who was he was a very dominant and brash figure uh, and a fierce fierce competitor but he also used to consistently extol the virtues of being the strong silent type <laughs> now he wasn't silent <laughs> but it's but something in that registered registered with me and 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 so now the way that i operate as a coach or as a a team colleague or as a leader is that actually if it doesn't need to be said don't say it because uh, all i'm looking for is to is to um add that uh, that value to the the conversation and move it forward rather than just speaking for the sake of it um that also can be a hindrance by the way in certain situations i've found that the the second quote that i've kind of uses a steer um is uh i'm not my work and i'm not my past and if i break that down i'm not my work uh is all about kind of identity and i've got i've got into trouble in the past in identifying that that my worth is wrapped in my work and that's a dangerous situation and so that's something that I consciously try and uh, navigate through. And 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 not my past is, um, I believe it's a limiting belief. So I, I remember hearing Muhammad Ali, who is a real uh, person who catches my eye, and he came out with a quote. Um, it was something like, "If if I was the same at fifty as I was at thirty, then I would have wasted twenty years of my life." And for me, that was just perfect. It was nectar because actually there were plenty of people in my early life who said, uh, you know, uh, I am what I am and I'm not changing for anybody and all that kind of stuff. And actually, I think there's huge value in um, evolving as a person as you get more experiences. So they will be the two quotes that, that, steer me P powerful stuff me really powerful and to move us on then into an area then of a, an experience that you've had real great success in your career or your life and and how was one of those quotes played out in it right this is this is not being me being modest at all i don't i don't i don't think there's one specific i can't recall one specific wow moment you know it's more something that happens every day um that kind of just helps me to to make decisions yeah I, I, ego is something that we, me and you have talked a lot yeah. about and we all have ego and i have had have had an incredibly uh, uh large ego which i'm working very very hard to suppress but this is this is a that is a genuine answer you know it's i, I don't think there's a particularly you know uh, salient point to be made here in terms of an instance it's just 
it is a daily thing that helps me to navigate the world. Well, let me rephrase it to a sense of then, um, could you tell us of a time when you've been really, really pleased with something that's happened and that you're an outcome that you've had? Anytime. Again, this is going around the, it's not going to be specific, but any time. So, okay, so a context would be in a team meeting. You know, we've all been in team meetings. Um, People dominate the floor uh, and that's fine. If I feel I've said one thing in the session and been pretty quiet for the rest of it, but actually it has had some bearing in a positive way on the outcome, job, job done. And even though in those, you know, specific examples, uh, non-specific examples, somebody might have said, oh, Nate, you're a bit quiet today. Mm-hmm. Um, as long as I feel that, you know, I've added some value somewhere, it, for me, it's not, absolutely not about airtime. It's, it's about, you know, just helping the cause to, to move on. What would be your proudest moment then, Nate, so far throughout your career and life? That's a, that's a, that's a, that's a tough question, Dave. In, in terms of sporting life? Could be, yeah. I can simplify really proud, I, I, Something you're really proud of. I can simplify it in playing. Okay. Um, and that's stats-based. You know, cricket is a very stats-based game. Yeah. And I got a sizable 100, you know, against Surrey at the Oval when they went on to win the championship. And I thought I played okay there. So that would be a, a, a playing moment that I was proud of. Um, I'm, not sh- I'm not sure about, you know... Yeah. Well, and if, if we flip it then in terms of something that's um, one of your biggest challenges in your life and your career in sport, what, what might they have been? And, and how might one of those quotes help you get out of that experience? Uh, well, I, well, I mean, I, apart from every time that I set foot on the pitch, you know, being a, being a challenge, um, Undoubtedly, the biggest challenge for me was the transition from being a professional sports person to not being, not being a professional sports person. The quotes that, I'm, that I said before did not help me with that at all at the time because those are quotes that have guided me post-professional uh, playing uh, career. Um, but that transition was difficult, and that's not a, that's not a new story. You know that, that that's repeated time and time again. But it's not it's not necessarily that I missed the game. Um, it's more that I suddenly didn't have a purpose. You know, I didn't know I didn't know what I could do, yeah. but more importantly, I didn't know what I wanted to do, and and I found that lack of direction very scary. And as a professional sports person, the one thing you do have is purpose and goal and you know where you're going. Yeah. And when you don't have that, I think that's why a lot of... I remember Ricky Hatton saying something that my dad said 20 years before. Um, and, and that was a sportsman has two deaths, a natural one 
and the one at the end of his sporting life. So this isn't, you know, this isn't revolutionary stuff, but it is, it is as it is, um, how it is. That, that was a tough moment. Uh, and can you recall a little bit of the time and, and how did you navigate your way through that? Just to give the, you know, our listeners a sense of, you know, how, did, how would they overcome challenges of that nature? Well, everyone's different. Um, time and lots of it. There were a couple of experiences that, that, that I encountered that helped me to figure out what I really didn't want to do. And that actually is useful in this process. Um, and at that time, um, what I realized I, I, I didn't want was to work for somebody else. Um, and I can go into that if you want to, but... Um, yeah, so what were, it, what, were, what were one of those two experiences? Well, they were both um, job-related. So when I, went, um, when I finished cricket, the good thing about being a sports person is that you, 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 you tend to have a, a decent network of people and, you know, contacts are really important in this world. And so a contact of mine um, had a sports uh, manufacturing business, uh, manufactured cricket equipment, hockey equipment and other stuff. And, um, asked you know if i'd come and do some work there and i, and I lasted for a year and it was a uh, i used to say, i used to say it was an account management role but it was a sales job <laughs> and i used to go and kind of go to to schools posh schools and kind of sell these wares and stuff and i was absolutely terrible i was terrible and petrified petrified so um <clears throat> It didn't end well. I, I remember him kind of sitting me down and saying, uh, um, well, lad, uh, um, it's not going to be me, so it's going to be thee, you sacked. <laughs> uh, um, I, and from that experience, I kind of, I realised that I, I struggled after work, after being a professional cricketer, struggled to, work as a salesperson for somebody else now say, selling what i've subsequently realized is important in everything that you do but at that time i thought it's a, it's a, it's something that i don't want to do ever again and then the second experience was after that i kind of was flicking through the newspapers and i just didn't know what i could, what i could do or wanted to do and the only thing that was kind of coming out in the papers because that's how you found a job in those days it wasn't kind of uh uh through anything else but it was like the back pages was um recruitment consultancy <laughs> and i didn't even know what recruitment consultant was at that time i was 26 27 and uh, but but i was captured by the 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 headlines of the advertisements and they were we're looking for people with drive. Yeah, I've got that. Uh, determination, I've got that. Professionalism, I've got that. Um, if you've got those, you know, tenacity, come and work for us. And, and the on-target earnings were kind of similar to, you know, that of a sportsman. So I thought, that's, that's, that's it. And, uh, and I applied. And I, I got a, an interview with a company called Robert Half International. <laughs> and, 
and that was a hell of an experience. I went through like five interviews and, um, and at the end of the process, they offered me the job. So I took my, my then girlfriend, who came, became my wife, Sarah, up to the Lake District to celebrate. And we're driving in on, uh, after a three hour drive to the Lake District, dro drove into the hotel, posh hotel. I splashed out a bit because I've got this job. And it was Friday, half past five. And I got a phone call and I took the call and it was Robert Half International who just offered me this job. And they said, um, I don't know how to say this to you, but we're going to have to retract the offer. And I just went off on that. I mean, I, I, just, I just couldn't handle it. So I told them kind of what I thought of, their, <laughs> of, of how they went about things. And I spent the weekend walking the lakes, stomp, stomping through the lakes with my wife 20 yards behind me, figuring out what the hell do I want to do in my life? What can I do? And I came up with two things at the end of the weekend. Not to work for somebody else. So I've got control. And do something that I know a bit about. Well, I tried the first thing that I knew about cricket. And that hadn't panned out. And the second thing I knew a bit about being a cricketer was fitness. And so I used that as a platform to start my own business, which was a, a fitness, fitness company. So those things that uh, made me realise what I didn't want to do actually gave me a steer. Was, yeah. there, was there anything else within that, though, that, that helped you work out what you did want to do? You know, looking at it as a positive. So, you know, I'm beginning to hear a little bit about the fact that you, you, you knew a little bit about cricket and you knew um, a little bit about sports. So was that a steer of something positive that you was, were sort of steering towards doing? Or was there any other catalyst to help you work out, actually, this is what I want to do? Part of this process um, of, of, of figuring out what I wanted to do, what, what I didn't want to do, part of it was I didn't want anything to do with cricket. And this is odd, because from naught years old uh, to 26 or 27, when I finished playing professionally, that, that was my world. But... I made that very clear decision at that, at that time um, based on the fact that um, I'd had a pretty disappointing experience, but, but my, my dad had. You know, my dad finished when he was 43, which was a quite a you know, long career, and he'd done everything in the game that you probably wanted to. He'd, he'd been professionally, been a county captain, he'd uh, play for England. He'd got a testimonial. Um, he'd won more ma man of the match medals than anybody in the history of the game until Graham Gooch beat. I mean, he'd done. He had a good career. Mm. And yet, when I was a young lad and seeing him finish, I saw how lost he was. Right. And so, coupled with my experiences, I suddenly started forming an opinion. Well, cricket's not the answer for me you know and so um that clarity last actually really helped me at that time because it made me go right cricket's gone and i didn't set foot in old trafford for 11 years after that <laughs> i can be quite stubborn sometimes <laughs> but but it but it also gave me clarity that i don't want to do that so it, it forced me into thinking about what do i want and after that weekend of walking in the lakes it was 
you know, have some independence, have some control, and maybe do something around fitness and health because that was always an interest, you know, to me. So th- there was something there about actually the the what I don't want working that out was actually a catalyst to start leading you towards working out what you do want, and actually there were some positive steps being taken then, from what I'm hearing. Yeah, and and I'm a great believer actually that. Um, just to say yes to everything when you're young, because not only will you experience things that you love doing, but you'll experience things that you really don't love doing. And that kind of filters things through. So it's a bit like, um, 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 I can never say this correctly, uh, analysis by paralysis. So you go to a supermarket and you look at the shelves and you've got, you want the sh- I don't know, shampoo. And there's 50 different varieties of shampoo. And you're like, <laughs> I'll just get that one because I've no idea what, the, you know. Um, actually, clarity, I think, is really important in, in both angles, in both uh, ends of the spectrum. And so if you get that out of the way early, I think it gives you an advantage because you suddenly realise, well, I don't want to do that. So yeah. I, won't, I won't do that again. But, you know. So you're narrowing things down by the sounds of it, aren't you? Yeah. But, but, but you've got to give it a go in the first place. Yeah. And I don't think that anybody can tell you what you're going to like or not. I think you've just got to go through it. Right. And, um, and I think actually that's probably informed my coaching actually a bit or um, helping people develop. Is it they've got to experience it, the good and the bad, to get to know where they want to go. I think once you've got focus... I think that helps solve a lot of things. I think a lot of people don't actually know where they want to go, um, which was me for a long time. And just to pick up on a point about the role your father's played in your career and how you've watched what he went through and what, how you paralleled your story to his, I want to take us to a place um, around looking at the role that a parent plays within sport and in the sporting context. I know that you're a parent yourself and your son plays cricket. What's your views of the role of parents within sport they're absolutely critical there's no doubt about it absolutely critical in terms of the impact that they will have on their child's relationship with sport um so an example would be there's there's 168 hours in the week and more than half of these will be spent at home probably you know in front of your parents which absolutely dwarfs the two or three hours that you'll get with a sports coach. And so the impact that a parent has on the, the, their child's relationship with, with sport is um, immense. Mm. Now, I think that every parent um, absolutely wants to do their best for their child. You know, that's a given. But I think... Um, I don't. I'm trying to phrase this uh, skillfully. Um, there's certain things that a parent can do that that actually can influence that relationship in a good way or a bad way. What examples might you have there? Then? Well, I think in terms of their role, hmm. I think it becomes potentially difficult and dangerous. Although there are people who can do it, but on the whole, I would say that it 
it potentially can become difficult when a parent also becomes the main coach. Now, I will grant you this, that I am skewed by my experiences, but it's also, you know, other experiences that I've accumulated. So I think that I've got quite a rounded view on this because, because I was the child of a sporty parent who became my coach. I then became a professional sports person. I then became a coach and then I became a, a, a coach developer. And I'm also the parent of a child going through. So I think I've got a fairly rounded view, view of this, but it is only my, my opinion. But I think it can be dangerous when that, when that parent assumes that coach uh, position because um, there's a danger of the, of the child linking their performance with the self-worth. And that's a very difficult um, area to, to manage. And it's something that I actually can speak of from experience because my uh, self-worth was definitely linked to my performance on the pitch. In and, a negative and, way, I'd say. Yeah, and, and therefore your relationship with your parents got entwined within that. Uh, with my father, not not my mum. My, my mum didn't was, you know, was just very supportive. My dad was supportive in his way. Yeah, yeah. But there was there were certain things that perhaps, you know, were a hindrance in his in his approach to to me to my relationship with with, with sports at that time. And, and given, therefore, that, you know, as a, as a rule, parents are there to really support and, and want the best for their child in sport. Um, with your vast experience through all those different positions that you've held, what guidance or advice could you give to them? What could they do to try and ensure that what they do is the best for their children? Um, I think this is pretty simple. Support them and to tell them how much they enjoy watching them play. And that's it. And when you say support them, what does that look like? So that would be logistics, um, giving them the opportunity to play, you know, if they want to. So, you know, to get good at something, you have to do something. And to do something, you have to be given the opportunity to do it. And when you're a young person, that opportunity comes from your parents. So, there's a sacrifice in terms of what parents have to do because they might have to give up the Saturday morning flying to drive uh, their child sometimes a long way to the sporting venue and then watch them for, I don't know, an hour, two hours, three hours, six hours, however long the sport is, and then drive them back and then take them to training and buy the equipment. So as much as you can, you know, provide the resources for the, the opportunity for the child. Um, but I think it's really important that, that the child has the belief that when the parent is there watching them, they're not watching them through a critical coaching eye. It's from a, you know, you're my son and I just loved watching you play today. And I know you lost 10-0, but hey, <laughs> I thought that passed was fantastic or whatever you know 
Yeah, if I flip the question a little bit as well, and given again that we, we as parents uh, are trying to really support and encourage the development of our children, from your experiences again, and your involvement in the game for so long and the role that you play, is there any one thing you would say to parents to generally stop doing that you see a lot of? Uh, well, I would say criticism. And I know that the counter argument is, but it's constructive. But when it comes from the parent, it's different from coming from a coach. Because one, it's such an intimate relationship that it impacts you much more greatly. But two, you can't escape it. So if a coach says to you, um, Dave, I don't think your performance was that good today because of this, then you can take that on board. It might hurt at the time, but you can go away from it and you've got the space to reflect on it. But when your dad or your mum says that, you know, you're going to be seeing them for the rest of the evening or the day over dinner and all that kind of stuff. And it's there. And I think, I think that dynamic changes things greatly. I really do. Um, so I think you've got to be, you know, I'm not saying for one moment that you can't be a parent and a coach of a player, but you've got to be really skillful with it. And you've got to understand um, what the need and want of the child is, because that will often be different to your need and want. So when, you, when the child has a bad game and they've already been lambasted by the coach, the last thing they probably want is to get in the car and then have another kind of constructive, uh, critical talk from their nearest and dearest. What they want is just to probably get away from it or let it absorb and deal with it with their own time. Um, can I tell you, can I indulge you in a, in a story that kind of, of reflects? I'd love to hear it, yeah. So... It's, it's a collection of stories that I'm going to uh, amalgamate into one. I got to a situation uh, where if I'd, if, I'd, if I'd done well on the sports field, cricket, um, didn't matter about football, which I, which I probably loved more than cricket, actually, when I was a youngster. But uh, if I played well on the cricket pitch uh, and my mum and dad weren't there, then I would uh, come home and I'd skip home I'd skip home and I couldn't wait to get home because I knew that the first question would be after not seeing them all day. Um, I've been at school, you know, since nine o'clock, eight o'clock. I knew that the first question would be, how did you do at cricket? And I couldn't wait to tell them. And when I say on the rare occasions, I've got hundred today, you know, they, I could see the pride coming through the face, you know, that's fantastic. You know, and it's just purring, you know, I loved it. At the other end of the spectrum, if I'd not done well, then I wanted to kind of slow that journey home. <laughs> you know, I wanted to prolong it because I knew that that question would come again. How did you do? And if I told them the truth, I could see it in their eyes. I could see it in their body language, how disappointed they were because they, they were probably disappointed for me and it was all good intention stuff, but I could see their disappointment, which reinforced. Um, my point is, is that no matter if I did well or if I didn't do well, their reaction reinforced my 
standing in the family or my self belief or my my self worth in that environment and i think that actually as a, as a young person when you go home all you need all you want and need is to know that it's just a supportive environment where you're not being judged. A safe place, yeah. A safe place. And I think that children are very resilient and they are resilient enough to say, to take the criticism of somebody in a different environment, knowing that they can go back to the safety of the home and escape from it. But when they feel that that criticism is coming from the, the home place, I think that, is a different ball game. That's my experience anyway. It shaped my thinking. Oh, Nathan, really powerful uh, and thought-provoking stuff there for parents because, again, you know, we're all involved in our children's lives in many ways. We're encouraging them to be active. And, you know, there's so much in and around the sport environment talking about competition and enjoyment and fun and being involved in it. And I, I think one of the things that gets really close to me is that is the power of sport in the way that we grow up and the way that we develop as individuals and people. And so you, you play a really important message for me there in terms of actually being conscious about the, the real positive impact the parent can bring towards a child's life, but just very, very, um, very subtly, if not played out too well, can actually be um, quite damaging or quite hurtful. So it's a, it's a real fine balance, which I know is not easy to do. But I know that we've also had conversations about this in the past and the importance of, of this aspect in, in creating a future for somebody, whether it be at school or whether it be a, in a sports club, whether it be professional or even at grassroots. Um, so I really want to thank you there for your, your kind of openness and honesty. I just want to take us then to, towards um, another bit of advice, you know, and I know you're giving advice very humbly from your experience. What would you say to somebody who would want to follow the career that you've taken? What advice might you give to them? Oh, cracky. Um, I guess it's the same advice that I'd give to anybody in any sector of society. And that would be just to go for it and um, say yes to any opportunity. So I, I, regardless of how much you know, it scares you or you think you can't do it. And I'm not saying that I've taken that advice, by the way. This is the advice that I'm giving. But um, essentially, take the chance and figure it out how to do it after that. That would be my advice. You know, if you want something, go for it and then figure it out. Um, and I've not lived by that, by the way. But, you know, as a... 45 year old that that would be you know the advice i would give somebody younger than myself have you, have you truly not lived by it or, or would you say there is times in your career in your life where you've had to give it a go and work out afterwards i've got better at it and i think i've got better at it post cricket um what's helped you get better at it self-exploration so the, you know the one of the one of the benefits i think of having a of being of being brought up in a family that is cricket dominated is that if cricket's not on the agenda um then there's not that much advice forthcoming <laughs> and 
and because there's not that much advice forthcoming then it forces you to figure out yourself and uh, you know a lot of coaches talk about creating independent thinkers don't they and giving them the space to figure out it's exactly the same here that you know up to 26 when I was a professional cricketer I had lots of advice uh, from my nearest and dearest and from lots of other people but after that um, because my network was solely cricket really that I had no advice from everybody so I had to figure it out myself and so um, I think that helped me kind of explore my myself a bit more than I had done previously wow so you, you, you leave me there with the thought about figuring it out for yourself. Um, it leads me beautifully into, into the next few questions which I'd like to ask. And I'm going to go to what I termed quick fire round here. And my first question is going to be um, around a number of books. And I'm sure there's been an element of reading that's taken place in articles because I know that you're a, you know, a person that explores their own development and purpose and it's always keen to learn. So I'm going to fire some questions at you. What I want is yeah, a, a quick gut reaction, quick fire back. Okay, so um, what would you say the sort of three or four books that you would recommend that have really uh, impacted on you in terms of your, uh, your development and also that's inspired you along the way? Uh, okay, so the, fir the first book that springs to mind is a book, it was probably the first book that I read around sports psychology and the power of the mind. And that was um, Golf is Not a Game of Perfect by uh, I think it was Dr. Bob Ritella and I don't even like golf <laughs> well I don't I, no, I, no, I don't dislike golf I don't play it you know yeah. I play it very badly the half a dozen games you know um, but I found that absolutely fascinating he talked about uh, training mindset and performance mindset and I'd never even kind of thought about that before so uh, that was a book that certainly sh that, that got me intrigued uh, from, a, from a young age as a coach. Um, so I'd thoroughly recommend uh, reading that uh, uh, for, for anybody reading that, if, if, if they're kind of setting off on their coaching journey. Anything by uh, Sir Ken Robinson. So uh, one particular one might be The Element. Um, which is a book about the importance of creating environments uh, which uh, cultivate creativity and innovation. And he's done a series of TED Talks, which are only 20 minutes long. But honestly, I think, I think actually one of his TED Talks is the highest grossing TED Talk of all time. He is fantastic. Well, I think he's fantastic. So uh, anything by Ken Robinson. Um, Okay, and there's two more. Uh, I can't remember who wrote it, but it was Ego is the Enemy. And uh, it was, um, the book basically argued that our biggest problems aren't caused by external factors, but from our own attitude and self-absorption. Um, Ryan Holiday, Holiday, I think, wrote that. And that, that was... Um, that was again a, a game changer for me because it kind of clarified things in my mind around ego 
about being a sports performer and about being a coach and a people developer. Um, and I don't want to go into too much detail, um, but yeah, it, it clarified things there that helped me with that relationship with ego. And then the last one would be a funny title, Why Zebras Don't Get Ulcers. I can't remember who wrote it. It's an old book, but it kind of explains the triggers of stress and, and how we can best cope with stress and, and anxiety. Great. Some really good books there for our listeners to go and try and dig into. So thanks for that. Most useful piece of technology or software that you've used within your career that's really helped you? Well, this is a this is a really boring, unimaginative answer, but um, undoubtedly the uh, the smartphone, the iPhone, um, for listening to uh, podcasts and, and audio books. You know, I find that so useful because because of the nature of of my role now in terms of travelling, although not now, um, but I can get in the car and you know have a six hour round trip and i can get through a book you know just kind of driving to and from a destination so uh, for that reason only definitely uh, the most important piece of tech um a slight tangent i, I downloaded a brilliant app the other day um yeah. it was about uh <laughs> It's nothing to do with sport, but I think it helps. Go on, yeah. I think it, I think it helps people, you know, in the sporting world. Um, I can't remember, I, I can't remember what the app's called. It's about stargazing. Um, what's right. it called? Uh, Star Trek. I don't know. It's it, it helps you basically to kind of um, identify all the celestial bodies up there and it kind of uh, augments it and all that kind of stuff and, I'll, tell you, I'll tell you what we can make a promise we'll dig out the name of it and then we can put it on the show notes okay. of, the, of the podcast yeah but but on a serious point i think that you know gazing up there um yeah at the night sky or the day sky actually is is actually one of the most beneficial activities that a human can do particularly if you are in a environment uh, that is uh, a performance environment or something that creates stress anxiety um which is probably you know most of our lives but i think it's fantastic for slowing you down giving you perspective um brings you back to the now which oh, leads me I on to my, ne my next question which would be how do you physically or mentally prepare yourself to be the best you can be well any kind of any any kind of activity that brings me back to the present um so an, a, an example would be walking my dog george a, a very energetic working cocker spaniel um you know anything that, that connects me to right now as opposed to thinking back or looking forward um and i think and i particularly enjoy walking a dog because i think we've got so much to learn from dogs and also all kind of animals because because they do live in the moment you know they absolutely live in the moment and uh, and that's actually that, that book that i talked about before why why zebras don't get ulcers they don't get ulcers because they do live in the moment and i don't worry about you know what's coming uh, what's coming in you know in the future they they see the lion now they deal with it and then they go back to you know chewing the grass so a lot to learn from dog walking I would dog say. walking or zebras <laughs> 
Or, or zebra walking, yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, last couple of questions. If you won the lottery tomorrow, what would you spend the money on? Well, my mum and my mother-in-law are both currently suffering from dementia. So um, it would be something connected to that uh, truly dreadful disease. And go on, then the, the last one. In, in one sentence, what advice would you give to your teenage self? Well, there's a bit... <laughs> <laughs> There's quite a lot of stuff, Dave. Uh, oh, crikey. Um, okay, so uh, to focus less on to focus less on my internal state and to allow myself to just enjoy enjoy stuff more and particularly enjoy playing the game because you know that is all it is. It's just a game. It's nothing more, nothing less. It's just a game. And so, yeah. Um, yeah. Don't focus too much on what's going on in here. Uh, kind of, what, what do they say? Um, smell the roses or whatever. You know? <laughs> kind of, yeah. Experience the external world a lot more. Okay, and, and just to wrap us up, and this is always a very difficult one, and I appreciate this, but would you be able to identify or name a person that's been the most influential person on your career to date, other than your father in terms of your role in sport? Just one. Okay, if there's more, that's good. Um, well, the reason why I say I ask you that is because I, I see my career as like being a player and being a non-player. Okay, yeah. Yeah. So, um, as a player, yeah. it would be uh, Dav Watmore, who was the Lancashire head coach uh, for a period of time. Great. He was a, I think he was the first outsider to to come into the club. He just won the World Cup, actually, with Sri Lanka. Yeah. And he came in as an outsider. And actually, I, I'm not sure how others got on with him but i know that um that i that i certainly uh, wanted to uh do well for him and uh, and i genuinely believe that he was the he was probably the only coach at lancashire to have genuinely believed in me and that gave me belief and it's i don't think it's a a coincidence that i play my best you know, under him as opposed to others. So he would be one uh, that was an influence because he brought fresh thinking into the club. Um, Post-career, oh, um, there's three, but I won't go. I'll tell you what, an easy, uh, your first guest on this, uh, on this podcast series, Lordy, Gordon Lord. So... Um, when I was going through my level four, he um, he was the head of elite coach development at the ECB, and his wisdom and uh, relational skill was was a real eye opener for me, and it was a it, it made me realise that, uh, that that there's more more than one way to uh, to coach people and. And it wasn't necessarily the, I'm in charge, I'm the boss, I've got all the uh, knowledge, and here it is. 
um, he was uh, a very big influence. It's so much of an influence, and he'll laugh now. So much of an influence. I went out and bought a couple of tweed jackets. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> <laughs> Which I still wear today <laughs> when it's winter. But uh, yeah, Lordy was a, a, a massively impactful uh, person. But there's so there's, there are others. There are, but yeah. Okay, and my very, very final question then would be, you've given the time today and it's been a fascinating sort of journey through part of your career and your world and I'm sure we could talk for days longer because there's, there's so much to unpick and your, your, your depth of understanding, your insight and your honesty is just a, a breath of fresh air for me. Um, but in terms of somebody else, whose life story or sports story would you really enjoy listening to or be really curious about? This is a very easy one for me. But uh, it's also a uh, uh, a common one. Um, but it's uh, it's the great Muhammad Ali, and um, obviously we've heard lots of things about his life from others. Um, but I really would cherish the opportunity to have been able to listen to his life in his words um, for you know so many factors. You know, he transcended sport his sport, well, all sport, actually. Um, it, was the, it was the greatest, but we're still prepared to walk away at the height of his powers from his sport, which I don't think many people would, you know, would have the courage and the confidence to do. And, um, and because he's the most charismatic sportsman, the sports person the world has ever seen, bar none without question so um maybe a cheesy one but for me and that, that you know that would be the person i'd speak to well i guess what a great person to kind of draw our podcast to a to a close with so nathan I, I would just like to really thank you yet again for being so open and honest in your usual natural insightful style and um, you know if people would be interested to to follow your journey a bit further can you tell them a little bit about what, what are you up to at the moment, uh, how they might be able to follow you if there are any contact details? Very happy to speak to anybody out there um, because it's what I love doing. and I love talking and finding out about others. I'm far more comfortable actually about uh, listening to others than talking about myself. Um, how, how do people contact me? Um, I'm on all the social media channels. It's either Nathan Wood or Nathan Theo Wood. Um, and I've got a website, um, which is, and I've not, I'm not, I'm not seen it for a while, actually, since I've been working at the ECB. So I'm trying to recall the website address. It's uh, nathanwood.consulting. Um, so, yeah, all my kind of email details are on there. So I'm more than happy to speak to any of you your listeners and uh, hear, and hear their stories which is fascinating great well thank you again and i want to just wrap it all up here by saying you know it's been a pleasure to hear that you know the nathan wood story in the nathan woods words you know in the in the terms of what you said about muhammad ali and listening to his story through his words you know and i'm sure we could hear so much more you know of yours in time so i'd love to have you back on the sports stories podcast again in the future to talk about some of the other areas that you're involved in but 
just as such as of today um thanks again for all your your honesty your openness you know i, I know this is sometimes as you say not easy for you talking about yourself and sharing parts of you but uh, it's come across as really very very natural and i really enjoyed listening to you and as i say i could keep going and, and hearing a great deal more because i've certainly learned a lot about you given that i already know you very well so nathan thanks very very much um and just to the listeners out there if you if you're looking to listen to any more of, of stories similar to nathan's then please do subscribe to the sports stories podcast and um, we're on all the other social media platforms um and um what what i will offer at some stage is some of my reflective thoughts about the the podcast as of today so nathan thanks a lot everybody keep listening in and take care bye for now thanks dave well i found that a really intriguing and insightful discussion with nathan there were so many great points to take away the three key themes that stuck with me were his relationship with his father and the expectations he held and how this shaped his cricket and life experiences his insight into his identity and self-worth and the mantra he now holds I'm not my work and I'm not my past. I just love that. And lastly, I got a great sense of his continual desire to learn and learn about himself. He uses the term self-exploration, which I think was a key in making him the person he has become. So with this in mind, I'd like to pose a couple of questions for you to consider. What is the first question you ask your children or grandchildren after they have played sport? And what impact does this have? And what could you do more of or differently to positively impact on the sport experiences of those around you? You'll know by now that I love asking questions as I really believe that this is the way to increase your self-awareness and in turn really helps you become a happier person and have a, and live a more fulfilling life. It would be great to hear how the questions I pose resonate and impact on you. I'm also keen to get your broader feedback on the podcast series. So please drop me a line at sportstories247 at gmail.com what other ways of connecting with me as well as picking up the key messages from today's conversation are in the show notes one last request i have please also take the time to leave a really quick review on apple podcast as this really helps new listeners engage and come on the sports stories journey with us also sharing and subscribing on different platforms is also hugely appreciated and very very useful now all it leaves me to say is a big thanks again to today's guest, Nathan Wood. I do also hope you have taken at least something small from your listen, and I really do look forward to having you with me, Dave Levine, again next week on the Sports Stories podcast. Have a great week.